That was Genesis. In the book of Exodus, uh, we get a lot of curtains again. In fact, if you do a word search on curtains in the book of Exodus, it pops up dozens of times. It's all about curtains. Uh, It's about the construction of the tabernacle, the temple. And all throughout the tabernacle, which became the temple, there are curtains of separation, reminding people of the fallen world in which they live and the consequences of sin. So in the temple, you have way out here what they call the court of Gentiles. All non-Jews were stuck in that area behind the curtain. And then there was the outer court, which was for Jewish women who were stuck in that section because of their gender. And then you had the inner court, which was for Jewish laymen who were stuck behind that curtain because they weren't ordained. And then you had the holy place, which was for Jewish priests. And then finally, you had the most holy place or the holy of holies, which only the high priest could enter one time each year. And in between the holy place and the most holy place was this massive curtain of separation. That took 85 women to make it, 300 priests to carry it. That's how big the curtain was, that temple veil. And it was a reminder to the people that they were separated from the presence of God, in a sense, because of their sin. Curtains. But then something happened. Jesus happened. And the Gospels tell us that when Jesus hung on the cross and he breathed his last breath, the veil of the temple, that curtain, that massive curtain that it took 300 priests to carry, that curtain was torn in two from top where only God can start the tear, to bottom. And the interesting thing is that it happened at midday, about 3 o'clock when everybody was worshiping. And now, Gentiles, regardless of their ethnicity, had access to the presence of God. Women, regardless of their gender, had access to the presence of God. Non-ordained Jewish laymen had access to the presence of God. When it was curtains for Jesus... He cut the curtain of separation from the presence of God. All the curtains that are results that resulted from the fall are undone by the life, death, resurrection, ascension, intercession, return, and reign of Jesus Christ, the curtain-cutting King. And this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we say thanks be to God. In the time we have left, I want us to talk about uh, what it means to partner with Christ in cutting curtains of separation. Um, Because there's three curtains I want to talk about, actually, that embody holy love uh, that we're going to talk about cutting. Cutting the curtain that separates people from God, evangelism, cutting the curtain that separates people from people, peacemaking, and cutting the curtain that separates people from needs, 
justice. And our base for this is going to be the most famous parable Jesus told. It's the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15. Now, usually when that's preached or when we read it, we tend to take the perspective of the younger prodigal son. I do, because I'm a prodigal. Or the older brother, dutiful but distant. But this morning, I want us to look at the parable from the perspective of the gracious father who's cutting all kinds of curtains. Because the parable of the prodigal son is not just a theological statement about God. It's actually a missional map for the church. Let me read the passage. Luke 15. And we're going to be in and out of Luke 15. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, turn with me to Luke 15. I'll start with verse 11. Here we go. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and to be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. First off, Jesus invites us 
to cut the curtain that separates people from God. I'm talking about evangelism. Every single human being who's ever lived has done what this son has done. Distanced himself from the Father, as we do with God, going off in search of things that we think will satisfy our deepest longings. And when we get what we want, we discover it's not what we want, and we begin to experience famine of the soul, need, emptiness, despair. So did that young son. And then it says, in the midst of his need, he came to his senses and went back to the father. Now, do you remember the day or the season when you were far from God, traveling in a distant land, experiencing severe famine of the soul, ready to settle for the pig pods of the American dream. And then you came to your senses. And there was someone around you that pointed you to the Father's house. You remember? And that's what God calls us to do too. All around us there are people coming to their senses, ready to go home, but they don't know the direction. And God has put you and me in their lives to point the way back to the Father. That's what evangelism is. And the problem is, the further we go in the Father's house, the longer we're in the Father's house, the fewer non-Christian friends we have. We're just a holy huddle. In John's Gospel, especially, Jesus is an evangelist. I mean, he's always having conversations with people on all sides of the tracks, pointing them back to the Father. So in John 3, he talks to a religious guy named Nicodemus who needed to get saved. In John 4, he talks to a very different kind of person, a woman at a well in Samaria who had five husbands, and the guy she was with at the time was not her husband. She needed to go back to the Father. And then you have these great verses in uh, John's Gospel from Jesus, evangelistic verses like John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son into the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world. John 6. All that the Father has given me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, whoever, I will not reject. John 10.10, I have come, Jesus says, that you might have life and have it to the full. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. John 14.6, I am, say it with me, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is quite the evangelist, cutting the curtain that separates people from his Father. You don't have to be a Billy Graham to do evangelism. You can be a rich rock kind. I met Rich when I was in a distant land settling for pig slop. And Rich didn't do anything dramatic or clever. He just simply loved me as I was, spent time with me, prayed for me. And then when I came to my senses, he pointed me to the Father. (laughs) That's it. 
And I am in Christ today in the Father's house because of a tall, blonde-haired guy named Rich with a crazy, loud laugh who loved me enough to tell me what Christ had done for him and could do for me too. And you are sitting where you're sitting because someone loved you enough to tell you what Christ had done for them and could do for you too. And here you are. Evangelism isn't rocket science. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's it. And Jesus is the bread of life. There is no life outside of Christ. There is no life outside of Christ. There is no life outside of Christ. He's it. And he has tagged us. So we're it. Called to partner with him in cutting the curtain that separates people from God. And you say, well, I don't want to be a religious bigot. I don't want to force God down down people's throats. I get that. But there are people all around us experiencing famine of the soul. Offering them the good news of Jesus Christ is not offensive. Withholding it is. So here's the application. Eat, pray, love. Title of a Julia Roberts movie. I haven't seen it, don't intend to see it, but I love the title because it's a great strategy for evangelism. Eat, pray, love. You may want to write this stuff down because I'm going to, I'm going to pray you to it. <laughs> Eat. I want you to think of first, let's, let's think of one person in your life. Family member, friend, coworker, neighbor, classmate, teammate. Someone who is far from the Father, settling for pig slop. Think of one person, write their name down or get it in your head. Okay, I'm actually going to pause for it. Take 10 seconds. I want you to get somebody in your head. And if you don't know anybody far from God, you've got some work to do. Get somebody, a specific person in your head, far from the Father. Okay. Eat, pray, love. Eat monthly. For the next four months, this is a four-month project, okay, or longer. Eat monthly with that person. Take them to breakfast, lunch, your treat, have them to your home. Just eat with them once a month for four months. Stuff happens around the table. And you don't have to bring God up. God will come up in the conversation. I guarantee it. And when he does... Jump in with a knife and fork of grace and truth, telling that person what Christ has done for you and could do for them too. It's that simple. Eat monthly with that person and watch stuff happen. Secondly, pray daily. Eat monthly, pray daily for that person. Pray first that you would have empathy for that person. Pray that God would cut the curtain that separates that person from him. Pray daily. Eat monthly, pray daily, love weekly. Do one tangible act of love for that person once a week. Send them a funny YouTube clip to cheer them up. Send them a gift card to Starbucks. Um, Wash their car. Watch their kids. Wash their kids. I don't know. Do something. Love practically once a week. Uh... And watch. Watch the walls fall down. Watch the curtain come down. Eat monthly. Pray daily. Love weekly. And see what happens with that person. All right?
The second curtain Jesus cuts is the curtain that separates people from people. Talking about peacemaking. Uh, Notice that the father in the parable uh, goes out to both sons, his younger and his older. He empathizes with both of his kids, and he tries to get the older son especially to empathize with the younger. The father is a peacemaker. He's trying to dismantle the bomb. He's trying to throw water, not fuel, on the fire of conflict between his sons. He goes out to the older and says, listen, you're always with me. All I have is yours. I empathize with you. But now empathize with your brother who is lost and is found, who is dead and is alive. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is presented as the ultimate peacemaker. In the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew chapter 5 Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It's the only beatitude actually with an identifier. Children of God are marked, identified, not by their capacity to debate or argue or theologize. We are marked as a child of God by our capacity to make peace. And then Jesus unpacks what this might look like in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. A little bit later, he says, You've heard that it was said, do not murder. I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says to his brother, you fool, is in danger of the fire of hell. Then Jesus says this. If you're offering your gift to God at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, that there's conflict, leave your gift to God in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Make peace. Then come back and offer your gift to God. What Jesus is saying loud and clear is that it's impossible to have peace with God when you are living in willful discord with another human being. That's what he's saying. He says it even harder a little bit later, toward uh, the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what you've heard. I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, What reward will you get? Pagans do that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Tax collectors do that. Be perfect, Jesus said, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Make peace. I've been uh, studying a lot of uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. sermons uh, for some research I was doing, and Martin Luther King, MLK, stepped into the middle of a fight to bring peace between two groups. Uh, and, and when he was talking to, to black audiences, he would, he would empathize with them, but then he would call them to empathize with, with whites. And he would say, uh, he would use language like, our white brothers and sisters. And then when he was talking to white audiences, empathizing with them, he was trying to get them to empathize with the black uh, uh, blacks in America. And he was saying, our black brothers and sisters. He stepped right into the middle of a fight. And you know it got him killed. 
but not before he put a significant cut in the curtain that separated people from people. This is the early church, folks. The greatest witnessing tool in the first century, the early church, was Jews and Gentiles taught for thousands of years to hate each other because of their different ethnicities, coming to faith in Christ, making peace with God, and because of their peace with God, making peace with each other and worshiping in the same churches. And the unbelieving world took notice and said, if God can do that, Jesus Christ is Lord, and the church grew. The world does not need more smooth talkers, arguers. We need peacemakers. Angry birds are all over the place. Our world is so violent and divided. Sometimes the church contributes to that, I have to say. We're known as troublemakers, not peacemakers. I... uh, Here's a story that's indicative of the culture we live in. I I came across a story some time ago about a fight breaking out at a punk rock concert, which is not all that unusual. What was unusual is that it was the lead singer of the band that got in a fight during the concert. So uh, the the lead singer of this punk rock band was getting political, bad-mouthing Trump or whatever, and there was a guy in the front, uh, in the audience, holding up the finger you're not supposed to hold up uh, to the lead singer for several songs. Finally, the lead singer called the guy up on the stage. And he spit in the guy's face and started punching the guy. Crazy world we live in. Now, Christians would never think of spitting in somebody's face and punching it. But our words pack quite a punch. On social media, are we troublemakers or peacemakers? When we're sharing in the church, are we talking badly behind people's backs, even if it's sanctified slander? Oh, pray for, pray for Bob Birchall. He's acting like a real jerk at home. That's not a prayer request. That's slander. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. So here's here's the application. This is hard. This is hard. What I'm going to ask you to do is hard. The Christian life isn't easy. Take up your cross. Follow me. So first thing is initiate peace with someone with whom you are at odds. Think of one person in your life right now with whom there is conflict. One person. Shouldn't be too hard. (laughs) Or group. Romans 12, 18. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Even that person. Wait, even people who like country music or rap? Yep. Republicans? Yep. Democrats? Yep. People who wear bib overalls or skinny jeans? Yes. Initiate peace. Here's the application with that person. Get somebody in your head with whom there's conflict. You've heard it said, say it, don't spray it. I'm going to twist that up a little bit. Pray it, then say it. That's the application. I want you to pray for that person with whom you're in conflict. I don't mean King David and peccatory psalm type prayers. (laughs) 
Like, God, slay the wicked. Not that kind of prayer. Pray for that person's flourishing. Pray that they would thrive in their marriage, in their family, in their work, that they would be filled with all joy and hope by the power of the Spirit. Pray for that person. Pray it and then say it. After you pray it, then you say it. What do you need to say to that person to make peace? I'm sorry. I forgive you. I love you. Let's start over. Let's move forward. Pray it and say it. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're children of God. And secondly, if you know of two groups or two people, maybe in the church or in the workplace or in your family, who are at odds with each other, pull a little MLK. Step into the middle of that fight. Break it up and bring peace. It might get you hurt. That's okay. Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross to make the two one. We can do the same. It's like going to your kids, right? I go to my kids when they're fighting and I try to make peace. I empathize like the father in the parable. I empathize with both of them and then I try to get them to empathize with each other. So to my daughter, I say, Leah, your older brother Zach is acting crazy. He's gone through all kinds of hormonal changes. You know, he's a teenager and he's angry and he's a little bit violent. And I know he's, he's, he's dominating you when you're playing basketball in the loft of our house. Uh, uh, but he really does love you. I know it's hard to see, but he, he does. He does love you. you. And then I go to Zach and I say, I know your sister can be annoying. And, and she gets in your business. She wants to know what's going on in your life all the time. And she picks up your phone and checks your messages. I, and I know that drives you crazy. But it's because she respects you and, and, and loves you. And they lived happily ever after. <laughs> Make peace between two people at odds, two groups at odds. final curtain uh, that Jesus cuts is the curtain that separates people from needs. I'm talking about justice. I want you to notice that in the parable, the father meets all kinds of needs for that young prodigal son. Some of you are psychology people and you know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs basic needs and then esteem needs and belonging needs and all that. The Father meets every one of them. He provides basic needs. Kill the fattened calf. The kid's hungry. Let's eat. Put a robe on his back. Give him clothing. Put a ring on his finger, which is about belonging. Sandals on his feet, because he's not a slave. He's a son. That's esteem. Jesus especially in Luke's gospel, it's all about justice. Remember the first words out of Jesus' mouth in uh, Luke 4. He came to his hometown and he preached a sermon, his first sermon that we have on record, and he was quoting Isaiah. And it's all about justice for those on the margins. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the Blind, release for the prisoner to set captives free by proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is basically saying his ministry is going to be designed to cut curtains that keep people on the margins in coach and get them in the first class experience. 
And then we get to Luke 10, case in point. Luke 10 is the Mary and Martha passage, which we've always thought was this cute little story about being too busy for God and then doing our devotions like Mary did. That's not entirely what it's about. Mary is, uh, Martha's busy in the kitchen doing what women in that culture were supposed to do. Cook, stay out of the way, provide for men. You remember what Mary was doing? She was doing the countercultural thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking on the posture of a disciple, of a rabbi, a role in that culture reserved only for men. Women weren't allowed to be disciples. But Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, not Martha, but Mary has chosen the better part. And it will not be taken from her. He's cutting the curtain that kept people out because of their gender. He's always doing this. On the church's best days, we've had some bad ones, but on our best days, we have partnered with Christ in cutting the curtains that separate people from what they need. Do you know Alcoholics Anonymous was started by a Christian? Did you know the movement toward the equality of women was started by Christians in a little church in New York? Did you know that the abolition of slavery was instigated by Christians? Did you know that the push toward racial reconciliation in our country has been instigated by Christians? Whenever we play life safe on the sidelines while we watch injustice perpetuated on the field, we betray our Christian heritage. I'll tell you about Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels. I had this guy in my congregation where I pastored in Pennsylvania. Uh, His name was Charlie. Uh, Charlie had been a Christian for decades. And uh, he was the guy who sat in the back of the church like this while I was preaching, like some of you are doing, I think, right now. (laughs) He was just bored with church. He's just bored. And... And he was, he was dying a slow spiritual death while in the church. Dying on the vine. And he didn't need another Bible study or hymn sing or potluck. He needed something, though. Well, Charlie uh, one day was going to his favorite hardware store. And there was a group of homeless people loitering outside. So Charlie put his head down, didn't make eye contact, took the long way around to get into the hardware store. Uh, did this several times because the hardware store owner was trying to provide coffee and, and, and food for these homeless friends. So one day, uh, Charlie struck up a conversation with one of the homeless friends. name was Johnny. Johnny was in his 40s. Looked like he was in his 60s because alcohol had devastated him, took everything from him. Well, oddly enough, Charlie and Johnny became best of buds. Uh, They were both rough around the edges, so they were perfect for each other, actually. But Charlie would take Johnny to his house, uh, to church. 
You spend a lot of time together. They would tell people they were brothers, even though one was white and one was black. You know, it was just that kind of relationship. And I watched Charlie come alive. One day in October, Charlie gets about 10 guys from the church who are handy. He didn't ask me to go, because I'm not. But he got 10 handy guys, carpenter types, and he bought a bunch of building materials from Home Depot. And with these 10 guys from the church, Charlie went out in the woods behind the Walmart, where about 20 homeless people lived, one of them a mom with a three-year-old, and illegally, against the law, built a bunch of homeless shelters for his friends that were torn down just a couple months later, actually. But I watched Charlie get raised from death to life spiritually. And what was it? It was rolling up his sleeves and partnering with Christ to cut the curtain that separated people from what they needed. You have what it takes in terms of energy, giftedness, resources to meet a need in someone's life. If someone's naked, give them clothes. If someone's hungry, give them food. If there's an at-risk kid who needs a friend, be a mentor. If someone feels demoralized, offer an uplifting word. If someone is oppressed and ostracized because of their gender or ethnicity, provide an opportunity. You want purpose? Seek justice. It's that simple. The healthiest churches are the churches that build their mission on this three-legged stool. Evangelism, peacemaking, justice. All three are necessary for the church to be vital. You take one leg out, the stool falls. People are always asking, what's God's will? What's God's will? What's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my church? It's so stinking obvious. If the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive in us, if we are Christ's ambassadors, if in this world we are like Jesus, then we will be partnering with him to cut curtains, getting people out of coach and into first class. Let's pray. I'm going to give you a chance to just talk to God on your own, uh, make those commitments to evangelism that one person God placed on your heart to eat, pray, love? And then with whom do you need to make peace? Or what groups do you need to step between to bring peace? Tell them you will. And then invite him now to lay on your heart a need that some person or group has that you can meet. Maybe it's getting involved in human trafficking and, and, and uh, bringing freedom to the women stuck in that slavery. 
Maybe it's given financially to a mission. Maybe it's adoption. Maybe it's mentoring. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for the example you've set. Thank you for cutting curtains in our lives, pushing us out of coach and into first class with you. Lord, would you forgive me, forgive us for the times when we've been content to sit in first class and forget all the people stuck in coach how unbecoming that is of a Christ follower. Forgive us. Empower us, Lord, by your grace, by your spirit, to do the work of evangelism, peacemaking, and justice. That just takes some commitment, some courage, some compassion. Lord, help us for your glory so that the world might know that you sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. In the name of Christ, the curtain-cutting King, we pray. God's people said, amen. No, God's people said, amen. Would you stand so I can hit you with a benediction? I'm going to use the same benediction every week that I'm with you, which, sorry to say, uh, is going to be probably four more weeks or so. Same benediction from Paul to the Thessalonians, which I think really captures holy love. May the God of peace, God himself, sanctify us through and through. May our whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls us is faithful. And he will do it. Amen. Here dismissed.